I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy. And this week we're asking what happens to Trumpism after Trump? Mr. Trump is on course to lose his re-election bid, albeit with the second highest number of votes ever recorded. He seems to have achieved that feat mainly by turning out the most characteristic parts of his coalition in force, white working class men, in particular cementing the Republicans' hold on some of the territory he took for them back in 2016. We're a long way from the promised blue wave for the Democrats, so who can claim a successful election result? And on what grounds? Jennifer Horn used to run the New Hampshire Republican Party and she co-founded the Lincoln Project, a group of mostly Republicans who tried to convince fellow party loyalists to vote against a Republican president, Donald Trump. Ms. Horn and her allies can look forward to their key aim of getting Donald Trump out of the White House. But where does it leave their party and their wider aim of defeating Trumpism? not just the man. We'll also be hearing from Edward Carr, our deputy editor here at The Economist, at the end of the programme on what the results so far mean for the main parties and for America. Jennifer Horn, welcome to The Economist Asks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So what were your hopes from the 2020 election beyond the obvious? What were you hoping that you would be able to take away from it? Well, obviously, we wanted to defeat Donald Trump above all else. And as you and I are speaking, it looks like we're on a good path to that. Our our hope in this really, though, it wasn't so much about winning a single race, a single election. It's about defeating Trump, what we call Trumpism. And that's something that's going to take several election cycles and, and a, a lot of effort and a lot of communication and a lot of, um, you know, uniting with uh, Americans across the country. Um, Trumpism to us is something that poses an existential threat to the republic, to the American democracy. The bigotry, the misogyny, the hatred, the division, the dangerous actions, the the embracing of policies that put immigrant children in cages, um, the, the intentional, informed, strategic decisions that were made during this pandemic that have led to the loss of over 230,000 lives, that's what we're trying to defeat um, in this election. And there's a lot of work still left to be done, unfortunately, ahead of us. Yes, it does look, at least on, on the, the trajectory we're on, that Donald Trump is losing this election in terms of its, its binary, someone's going to be president and someone's not going to be president. There, there is more nuance to this, isn't there? Donald Trump did a lot better than expected. Better yes. than you personally expected? Yeah, he, yes, absolutely. Better than I personally expected. Um, and that's kind of part of what I mean when I say looking ahead, there's an awful lot of work to do out there. Um, you know, how we won't know. We're still a couple of days away from having all the so, you know solid information that we need on this. But 
if Donald Trump ends up winning, say, 47% of the American vote, you know, what does, what does that say? What does that say about us as a people? What does that say about us as, as a nation? Um, and it that's says that I, a lot of people don't readily identify with your aims and your view of America. Well, what it says is that we're very divided as a country, that we have that the, we have some very different ideas, some very different visions about what America should be or can be. It, it is a poor reflection, unfortunately, on where we are at this moment. Now, the flip side of that is the, the overwhelming majority of the um, popular vote is going to go for Joe Biden when all is said and done. The other good news is that we had record turnout for voting in our country. It's historic, it, not, not, the, not the highest turnout in 10 years or the highest turnout in modern politics. It's going to be the highest participation in the electoral process than we have ever seen in this country. And that's a good thing. That's a positive. And that's something that we can build on going forward um, when we talk about how do we start healing as a nation or how do we start uniting you know, as a people. Um, that's something that I'm, I'm very proud of that. Those of us at the Lincoln Project, um, you know, we, have, we played a role in that. That was a big part of our message, yeah, but, but let, let's, yeah, vote. <laughs> We'll come to your justified pride, uh, you know, in, in just a moment. But let's say if we, we could for a bit on, on the results and what they mean. The Economist uh, writes this week that Trump is on course to lose his re-election bid with the second highest number of votes ever recorded. So more people voted for him. How can that be a win for you? So more people voted for Joe Biden. That's how that's a win for us. More people voted for Joe Biden than voted for Donald Trump. I mean, that's what an election is. It's And there are close elections and there are, you know, bigger, more overwhelming uh, uh, outcomes of elections. Um, but and the, there's no question that um, the president made inroads and the Republican Party grew in, in certain ways, in certain places. Um, but in the end, when this is all said and done, Joe Biden will have won more votes than Donald Trump. That's what the election's all about. Um, is it a win? It's absolutely a win for us. If, if Joe Biden is the next president of the United States, it's a win for the whole country. Frankly, it's a win for the world. But the exit polls suggest, I mean, I think no one's doubting that if Joe Biden becomes the president, in some sense, he has clearly won the election in the main sense of which an election is intended to decide who is in the White House. But still, as you point out, and as your project has try to deal with the attitudes, the divisions that underlie that. And that's what interests me here, because the exit polls are suggesting that Donald Trump increased his share of support from every group except white men, and that there is a stronger attack, attraction perhaps to large parts of America than the Lincoln Project or the Democratic Party believed. Do you accept that? I would have liked this election to be a, a, a resounding um you know, denunciation of everything that Donald Trump has stood for. I would have liked it to have been something that was kind of a, a message to be heard through the ages that the American people rejected everything that Donald Trump stood for. It is but they very, didn't. You see, that's that's the point yeah, that I suppose but, I'm, but I'm driving clear, at. Does that change anything in your mind? Certainly not. The uh, to uh, not not our not our efforts and our goals and our commitment to what we're doing here at the Lincoln Project. Um, and every American election, um, you know, is is about one or the other. 
the fact that the president was able to turn out so many more people than we expected him to do, and frankly, than any organization did. The polls, you know, across the polls, you can see that um, the president was able to turn out and speak to more voters than anybody anticipated that he was going to be able to do. Um, the, the work continues, you know, for, for any effort, for any party. The, the election is never the end of what you're trying to do. It's almost always But it the must beginning. change something about the work that you do. If the work that you do, while it was effective in probably helping to some extent to get Joe Biden most likely into the White House, if the background is that the Republican Party still was cleaving to Donald Trump, knowing his record, knowing his flaws and perhaps even knowing his dangers, the work you have to do might also slightly change. So I know it's very early days, but I just wonder if there are any, what were the learning points uh, for you from this and the project? You know, Anne, frankly, uh, we always understood that the country was still going to be divided after this, that there were still going to be um, issues uh, and groups of people that would be on our list to confront. So that continues. But when you, it's interesting you use the word confront. I mean, it, it does seem so. It, if we have the learning points, and admittedly, you know, these are the first hours and days after an extraordinary historic election. But particularly if you're looking at uh, Americans of color, it may be that the never Trump message didn't resonate as clearly with them as you would have wished and that maybe something else might need to change there. I, I'm mean, putting that up for debate. Well, listen, I, I think that, um, you know, another another group, another demographic of voters that we really tried to speak to were Latino Americans, you know, as Mike Madrid, who is our one of my co-founders here and our our brilliant data guy uh, will tell you, you know, the, the Latino vote is broken up into a number of different categories, some of which performed very well and some of which kind of underperformed for us. Um, the uh, the um, you know whether it's African Americans, white suburban women Americans. Yeah, I mean you can you can break up the vote into a lot of demographics, and Joe Biden's going to do very well with some of them. Uh, and and like I think it's important for people to understand we're not here to advocate for one party or another. It's a principle. It's a it's a pro democracy um, organization. So um, my my position is that we need leaders who can speak to the full breadth of the American demographic. And right now, so far, it's been a very long time, I think, since we've had, since we've been in that position where we had a leader that across the American political spectrum, people felt like that person was talking to them. But I think we're on the, I think we're on a path that can lead us to that. And I think that Joe Biden, frankly, um, is going to be a leader and a messenger who is going to be much more effective at bringing us together and moving us forward than Donald Trump could ever be. And that's the first step to what the Lincoln Project was trying to do. In the event of a, a Biden presidency, does it also you, cause you a bit of a, a wrinkle? Because in some ways your raison d'etre was getting Donald Trump out of office. You're not a you're not a, a Democratic Party machine. The opposite. You come out of the Republican tradition, which is obviously going to need to be reinvented and reinvigorated. What what then stops you just becoming kind of part of the Biden Express? That yeah, because we're not here to advance a candidate. We're here to advance principles. Um, I, we can be a good partner to a Biden presidency on certain issues. 
on, um, you know, really um, compassionate and effective immigration reform, on perhaps an updated Voting Rights Act, some civil and civil rights actions. Um, but as we go forward, it, we are going to be engaged in issues on principle rather than on party or particular politician. And this hyper-partisanship, you've referred to it, it's you know, it's there for all to see. It may be that it, that it is so powerful that Republicans who dislike Trump still voted for him anyway in, in large numbers because they couldn't bear to vote for a Democrat. And where do you think that leaves American politics? We often talk about this sort of healing process, but a lot of people may feel they don't want to be healed. They're actually quite happy or at least content to go along with some things because their partisan identity is so strong. And I sometimes wonder whether we're trying to sort of break down something, which actually a lot of people feel that's okay. And they're not by any means all at the extreme. So what's the way to go with that? Well, I can't, I mean, you can't argue the point. Democracies around the world um, become partisan over the course of their histories. That's not unique to the United States. Uh, But we are certainly suffering as a country from the degree to which we have become tribalized in this country. And and I think that you are exactly right, frankly, that there are an awful lot of people out there on both sides of the political aisle. In this particular campaign, it has manifested in the, on the, in the Republican Party, certainly, um, who are taking action because they simply can't imagine stepping outside of that partisan identity or partisan community of which they are a part. Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there who are suffering, who feel like the system has left them behind, who feel like they are not listened to, who have an an anger or a chip about um, the struggles that they have faced and and are looking for someone to blame. I think all of these things contribute to, uh, to any campaign, to any political operation, but certainly have in a very big way contributed to the degree to which we are um, divided in this country. Um, there's not you see there's not much evidence on offer is there that the republican party is turning against trumpism and that's your ultimate aim no none of frankly none at all none at all and as as the lincoln project honestly we never really anticipated that there would be our goal was to speak to average republican average americans who happen to vote republican and try to move just a few of them three four five percent across the line. I believe we will have accomplished that when this is done. And that's what's contributing to, uh, to Joe Biden's, I, I have to keep, you know, cross my fingers, Joe Biden's eventual victory. He's just a few electoral college votes away. Um, so, so, and, and frankly, you know, when I talk about moving forward and, and the work to still be done, that's a big part of it. No, the Republican Party has not rejected Trumpism at all. Uh, and we've seen in the leaders of the party in particular for the last four years, an open embrace of it. So just because that has that 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 appears to have grown, or that the president has picked up um, a greater percentage of votes, a greater that the Republican voters and Republican Party seem to be you know kind of grasping on to that Trumpism, that doesn't mean that one. It doesn't mean that we have fully failed. We clearly have made inroads. We see that in the results of the election. And two, uh, that just sort of lays the path for the Lincoln Project. That, that shows us our, our job is harder and it's going to take longer, um, but it, it makes us more committed, frankly, to, to the work ahead of us, which is what we've always known we were going to have to do. And has the pre-Trump Republican Party become too detached from 
a wide base. I mean, you could make the argument the party has fundamentally changed and you can take Donald Trump out of the equation and uh, you know, go off and, and, and celebrate your role in that and, and quite rightly so. But there is still a problem, isn't there, with what is a post-Trump Republican Party? Uh, yeah, and other than, you know, in essence saying you went the wrong way with Trump, what do you think the route back looks well, like? I, I, first of all, I have no interest in whether or not the Republican Party um, rebounds or can rebuilds or rebrands. I feel like the Republican Party has made their bed and now they have to lie in it. And you know the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, my goal is very much outside of any sort of party effort or party branding or party anything. To you know, my goal in the Lincoln Project is very much a country above party um, principle and and vision. I, I believe that the Republican Party is probably irreparably damaged at this point. So what does that mean? Does it mean that a third party slowly grows in the gap somewhere? Does it mean that uh, people like myself, who I, I'm not a Democrat for, for um, um, you know, legislative reasons, for policy reasons, uh, you know, so do I, do I become an independent? Do, does the independent voice in this country grow? Um, you know, in, in my, my, I spent my political life in the state of New Hampshire. And in our state, there are fewer registered Republicans today than there have been in almost two decades. For the past decade, we've had more registered re- independents than we had registered Republicans or registered Democrats. And as we came into this election, we saw for the first time that we had more registered Democrats than registered Republicans. So it's not quite as cut and dried as like we see the national numbers where more Republicans turned out, more Republicans engaged with the president. There's definitely a shift happening in American politics. And um, it's we're not going to be able to really figure it out and define it for a long time after this election. Last thought from you, if, if I could, is what happens as opposed to Trumpism after Trump? We had really fascinating debate about, about this at The Economist, and you, you, you can see the results in, in our pages and in our reporting and analysis. But it does taking Trump out remove, essentially remove that kind of lying, the bigotry, the negativity, simply because the great Shrek has gone. He'll be tweeting from somewhere else. He'll, <laughs> Shrek. he'll have some followers. <laughs> I enjoy the, the, the comparison. <laughs> so does it change because Donald Trump is removed just because of who he is and the force of his personality? And the, the Or do these ideas, do these attitudes, are they really still part of the Trumpism that um, you know has driven some success electorally, even if he's not in the White House? Well, there, I think there's two pieces to that. The first is... Um, the president of the United States sets the path for our country and sets the tone. So I think one of the things that has happened with Donald Trump being the person in the White House is that he has empowered the worst in us to come out and be public. People who might have previously uh, tried to hide their racism, tried to hide their bigotry, tried to hide their anger and their, um, have been empowered by this president. 
But we cannot, it, it's a, it is a misunderstanding to think that the majority of people who support the president do so out of racism or misogyny or hatred. It is much more complex than that, and we have to understand that. So with, with Joe Biden in the White House, the tone of our country changes, and I think that that is going to have, to some degree, a healing effect on the people. So that's number one. Number two, uh, you know, with Joe, with Trump gone, to, you know, is that enough? No, I, I frankly think that Donald Trump has the potential to be more destructive out of the White House than he was in the White House. What is he going to do next? He's going to, is he going to build a big media company, a Trump TV that becomes this propaganda um, operation that is continuing to spread misinformation, that becomes a partner to RT, that, um, you know, continues to try to, um, you know, incite this um, hatred and anger in our country. It is going to be much more difficult to contain that and to address it if, if he is functioning in that kind of a media space. And no matter what happens to Donald Trump, so many leaders in the Republican Party's party have built their positions on him, have hitched their wagon to him, that they're going to spend their political careers going down that path. And then you look at the future. Look about when new people come in and decide to run for office in our country. It, for at least the next 25 years, it's going to be, are you a Trump Republican or are you a traditional Republican? Are you a Trump Republican or a Reagan Republican? It continues on. You know, he has planted seeds that are going to continue to grow, which is why it is so important that an organization like the Lincoln Project um, make it clear to the world that we are going nowhere. And if he does come back in 2024, either Donald Trump himself or a member of his his family, keeping that Trump brand, as I'm sure he would would see it going, would, would that cause you many sleepless nights? Oh, gosh, yes. Absolutely. And and frankly, even if the president comes out of a, a loss and says, I'm running again, I don't believe that Donald Trump will run again. I, I think it's been very costly to his ego. I think it's been very costly. Um, it has put him in a position where he has been so exposed um, legally that, you know, I just don't think he's going to put himself in that position again. Um, will, will Junior run? There's a good chance that, you know, uh, there's no question that he's sitting there thinking about it. If Ivanka, you know, would the Trump family love to give us our first female president? Absolutely. Um, but even in the... the oh, so you the, take the Ivanka Trump possible bid quite seriously. Yeah, I take, I take the idea of either Ivanka or Junior running fairly seriously at this point, frankly. Um, uh, but but equally, equally dangerous and, and maybe more likely is somebody like Tom Cotton, who is a, an, a senator from Arkansas who is uh, used to be a rational conservative voice in the Senate and has become fully trumpized he, he has become he has practically become radicalized and so that to me is a, a bigger danger when we see where this this Trump radicalization is infiltrating the greater um, the greater population of the Republican Party. I find that much more a much more concerning prospect. Jennifer Horn, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ed Carr, our deputy editor, was listening to that interview. He has written our leader this week uh, on the election. So, Ed, many, including this newspaper, called for voters to repudiate Mr Trump wholesale. In your opinion, did they? Not wholesale, no. 
I mean, I think one needs to get a sense of this, the perspective of this defeat. In the 40 years since Carter, there's only been one one-term president, and, and that was Bush Sr. Uh, so if Trump were to be kicked out now, that would, really would be quite a, a repudiation. And as, as Jennifer said, um, you know, the absolute vote totals were pretty heavily against Trump. But it wasn't a total repudiation because it's very clear that uh, Republican voters turned out in great forces and they did not punish him for the way he's governed. Um, and so that central aim of sort of teaching the Republican Party that this is not the way to run a country, I don't think that lesson really came through. And you listened to Jennifer Horn and, and her reaction to it. I mean, do you see the vote? She was along the lines of a, a win is a win. Uh, only one person is going to be, be president. Did you share that that take? Or would you say that actually there is a little bit more of a, a kind of small W win here for Donald Trump and Trumpism? I think one shouldn't underestimate the consequences of having a different person in the White House. Um, Biden is a unifier. He used his speech last night after the polls closed to talk about being a unifying president. It's in his character. Um, he's a decent man. He's a man who respects institutions. Um, all of that will have a big effect on the way America feels and the, Amer the way America works. But uh, for as long as the shadow of Donald Trump remains uh, over the Republican Party, uh, and, and let's face it, um, you know, we don't know what he's going to do if he loses power and, and where he'll go. The chances are he could remain very much on the national stage, as Jennifer suggested. So for as long as that, that shadow remains, America's one election away from a return of something like Trumpism. Um, and that matters. The fact that this vote was so close that it, it's taken some time for any outcome to become apparent, let alone a conclusive one. What does that tell you about America? Well, I mean, plenty of American presidential elections are, are usually close, modern ones. Um, that's the nature of the country. And I, I think perhaps what's the, the way to think about this is that this, in terms of the results, was a normal election. When what people like Jennifer wanted, and in frankly what we wanted when we were writing our endorsement leader for Joe Biden, was an abnormal election, an unusual election, an election that marked some sort of turning point in American politics. And I don't think we've had that turning point. Uh, it, it, the Republican Party will now come back to Washington um, in control of the Senate, uh, and they've made it very clear that they're going to obstruct Joe Biden at every opportunity, just as they obstructed Barack Obama. Um, and so we're back to gridlock, zero-sum politics, the sort of pitched battles of, of tribal politics that uh, are such a big problem for governing the United States. And what will happen to the never-Trumpers, uh, people like Jennifer Horn and, and those who identify with that view. I, it seemed to me, just to give a personal opinion, it seemed to, to me almost that, the yes, they could celebrate that they don't have Trump anymore, so that's a never-Trump outcome, but it didn't make at all clear what the future of the Republican Party would look like. No, that's right. I mean, as far as the never-Trumpers go, I admire them. I, I think in, in a very polarised and tribal uh, environment. It takes a lot of courage to 
um, do what Jennifer and people like her have done. You're turning your back on your friendships. Uh, for a lot of people, you're turning your back on your career, uh, a lot of money. Um, you know, it's, it, if you're ambitious for office, so you're giving up a huge amount uh, and, you know, there's very little promise of reward. And perhaps one of the interesting things about the last few months of this campaign is that the Never Trumpers have gained a kind of, uh, particularly uh, on the left, have gained a kind of moral stature as sort of truth tellers, the people who are prepared to make that sacrifice. And um, I, I think they will keep that, actually. I think that's given them a sort of special status in American politics. Uh, and I think it would be very good for the country, in fact, if um, there were to be some sort of reformation, some sort of sense that politics does not have to be quite so hate-filled and, and tribal and zero-sum and, and can be more about what, let's face it, what politics is supposed really to be about, which is governing the country. Uh, winning elections is a way to get people to select people to govern the country, and what's what's become of the system is that the you know the, the the selection process is totally dominating everything else in America, and that's not really very healthy. And how much should Never Trumpers learn from some of the demographics, at least the raw demographics that we can analyse at this point, particularly if you look at uh, the, the Latino vote for. Trump in Florida, uh, if you look at, at Texas, similar, but also if you look at young African-Americans who perhaps opted for Mr. Trump in greater numbers than the never-Trumpers or the Democrats would have expected. Yes, I think there are, there are two sort of slightly bright spots that come out of uh, the vote. One of them is the huge turnout. That means a lot of people are participating in elections, and that's that's good for democracy. And the other is exactly as you say, the fact that the voting blocks weren't as monolithic as the parties sometimes think. So both both parties uh, practice their own form of of identity politics. On on the right, it tends to be white identity politics, which can be really quite pernicious and dangerous. And on the left of the Democratic Party, not, not the centre, but on the left of the Democratic Party, a, a fringe would like to do the same thing with race uh, and minority groups. And to see um, minorities behaving as individuals with, with interest groups that go completely beyond the uh, racial identity that the parties would like to ascribe to them, I think is incredibly healthy as a sort of glimmer or to both parties that they need to start thinking about extending their reach and their appeal. And that means, say, for the Democrats, um, sort of dealing with the Republican criticism of them that they're against free enterprise and that they're dominated by these fringe identity policy interests, which I think is a hugely exaggerated accusation. But they, Democrats now to go and convince people and tell people that's not what they're doing. And for progressive thinking or forward thinking Republicans, the idea that you might look outside um, your white, non-college-educated -college voter base for the key 5 10% of extra voters in minorities that can make all the difference between success and defeat, that's a really healthy lesson. And, and I hope it's one that, that will be taken by both parties in the next uh, few years. And will Trumpism survive. We heard Jennifer Horn there and she seemed to take rather seriously that a member of the Trump family, if not Donald Trump himself, might contest the next election. It's a very long time away, the next election, if you remember what just what this campaign has been like. It depends what you mean by Trumpism. You know, I mean, if you mean a certain kind of 
um, populist, nationalist, sort of anti-globalist, anti-elite, uh, protectionist, anti-immigration, that kind of thing. That kind of stuff. I think that will survive, and I think that's you know the appeal of that is is a, is a lasting legacy of Donald Trump. He's demonstrated to the Republican Party that that there is you know a, a sort of viable formula there. But if you mean by Trumpism all the other stuff, you know, the all caps tweeting, the, uh, you know, hatred, the, the constant division and belittlement of other people, I'm much more sceptical that that really can last. Donald Trump's this public figure, don't forget, who's been in on the scene in one way or another for, for decades. He's known. People give him a pass because he has a sort of persona that, that, that was there before politics. For one of the people that Jennifer was mentioning, like Tom Cotton, who's a politician, to come and do the same thing, I think is a lot harder. Thank you for joining us. Edward Carr, our deputy editor here at The Economist. And we'd love to know what you think, of course, in this particularly momentous week. Will there be Trumpism after Trump? Could Donald Trump or one of his clan come back in 2024? And how will the outcome change both the Democratic and the Republican parties? Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And for your best introductory offer to all of our coverage, do go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is in the show notes. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London, this is The Economist. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.